The People's Constitution, the path to empowerment of Australians in a 21st century democracy by Bronwyn Kelly. Read by Bronwyn Kelly. Chapter 5, Part 2. How have Australian values been defined over time? Hitherto, Australians have not been good at sitting down together to define what we truly value. In the absence of an inclusive consultation process for this purpose, we have instead tended to let governments frame those values for us. For its part, the Conservative government of the 2013 to 2022 period responded by developing a statement of our values, but mainly for the purpose of describing its version of them to visa applicants. This version was set out by the Australian Government's Department of Home Affairs in 2020 in a document called Life in Australia, Australian Values and Principles. Accordingly, anyone seeking an Australian visa, temporary or permanent, is required to sign the Department of Home Affairs Australian Values Statement. An applicant is required to state that, quote, I understand that Australian society values respect for the freedom and dignity of the individual, freedom of religion, including the freedom not to follow a particular religion, freedom of speech and freedom of association, commitment to the rule of law, which means that all people are subject to the law and should obey it, Parliamentary democracy, whereby our laws are determined by parliaments elected by the people, those laws being paramount and overriding any other inconsistent religious or secular laws. Equality of opportunity for all people, regardless of their gender, sexual orientation, age, disability, race or national or ethnic origin. A fair go for all that embraces mutual respect, tolerance, compassion for those in need and equality of opportunity for all. And finally, the English language as the national language and as an important unifying element of Australian society. I undertake to conduct myself in accordance with these values of Australian society during my stay in Australia and to obey the laws of Australia. Unquote. Despite the apparent importance of these values, the Australian government has never sought to check that these are the values we actually hold. Based on research in such programs as the Australian National University's Australian Values Study 2018, it is very likely that as a majority we do highly value some of these things, particularly parliamentary democracy and freedom of religion, as distinct from religion itself, which in the majority we no longer hold in high value, particularly in our daily lives. Other studies suggest we hold some of the other values listed by Home Affairs, and some other quite different values. The University of Western Australia, UWA for instance, ran a study in 2018 called The Values Project to ascertain whether Australians hold the values espoused on their behalf by the Department of Home Affairs. In a survey of 7,000 Australians, they found that we most highly value, quote, benevolence, expressed as the welfare of people who are close to us, security, expresses the safety and stability of society, relationships and self, as well as national security, and societal universalism, expressed as understanding, appreciation, tolerance and protection for the welfare of all people, including strangers and those we don't know. Unquote. According to the researchers, quote, 
People who value societal universalism attach great importance to equality, social justice, tolerance, wisdom and peace in the world, unquote. These results paint a picture of Australians as compassionate, fair, socially oriented, as opposed to individually self-centred, and concerned for the welfare of all. In particular, they show we value peace in the world. For Australians, it seems that harmonious relationships in the family, nationally and internationally, and the personal safety such relationships make possible matter more than straight-down-the-line individualism, sectarianism, isolationism and assertion of nationalist virtue or supremacy. This paints a picture of Australians as a more inclusive nation than the Department of Home Affairs has implied. Peace inside or outside Australia doesn't rate a mention at Home Affairs, nor does harmony of relationships and common welfare. In other words, social cohesion and inclusion, well-being and responsible international citizenry are not front and centre for Home Affairs. Their version of the fair go does not include fair outcomes or fair sharing of benefits. On the contrary, it is geared more to embed growth in inequality and social stratification. This is evident in its heavily biased assertion that, quote, what someone achieves in life should be a result of their hard work and talents, unquote. An assertion which entirely fails to mention the contribution that societies, those organised to work together, make to an individual's capacity to achieve in life. Indeed, insofar as the Home Affairs Statement starts with the freedom and dignity of the individual and finishes without mentioning a word like society, or the environment for that matter, it might as well have been written for Margaret Thatcher's England of the 1980s rather than today's Australia. It's closer to her enunciation that, quote, there is no such thing as society. Unquote. By the same token, Home Affairs' preferred value of commitment to the rule of law is not ranked highly at all by the respondents in the University of Western Australia study. Only 1% of Australians reported that they regarded conformity, defined as adherence to rules, laws and obligations, to be their most important value. And equality of opportunity rates no mention in the UWA study, although equality itself does. There is a clear difference in the values espoused on our behalf by Home Affairs and the descriptions of values respondents have offered to the University of Western Australia when it comes to equality. Home Affairs confines comment on equality to equality of opportunity and the fair go, and doubtless Australians highly value those things but they are fundamentally different values to the actual equality of all people, regardless of their gender, sexual orientation, age, disability, race, or national or ethnic origin. They are also quite different to the value of fairness, injustice, and equality before the law. In the Home Affairs Statement, the fair go is an economic consideration, not a matter of social justice or fairness in the legal system. It's very subtle, but the Home Affairs Value Statement promotes an impression of Australians as more focused on individual achievement and getting ahead than they are on collective effort, societal cooperation, 
communal well-being and shared prosperity. The UWA study refutes this, reporting that among the things that matter least to Australians are the goals of attaining social status and control or dominance over people and resources, personal success and demonstrating one's competence according to social standards, and showing respect, commitment and acceptance of the customs and ideas of traditional culture or religion. Quite apparently, we are an increasingly irreligious nation and irreverent of authority in general. Irreverence for pomposity and the tall poppy has long been ingrained in the larrikin element of the Australian character and since the 1960s has been accompanied by a solid trend towards secularity. It would seem that more Australians are determining their moral codes in a secular and humanistic framework and not with exclusive reference to religious beliefs. And based on the results of other surveys, this irreverence may have been reinforced in the 21st century by perceptions of the dishonesty of politicians and their lack of integrity, a value that Australians clearly hold, but which is entirely absent from the Home Affairs Australian Value Statement. The results of the UWA study line up closely with results of a detailed study conducted in 2003 by the Christian Research Association and NCLS National Church Life Survey Research. This study, called Exploring What Australians Value, might be considered outdated, but the results on the desire for peace are very similar to the UWA study. The Christian Research Association NCLS study concluded that, quote, the value most strongly affirmed by the Australian population as a whole was a world at peace, unquote. Bearing in mind the date of this report, it might be assumed that the high value placed on world peace is a reflex of the commencement of Australia's involvement in the Iraq War, a highly unpopular and to many an immoral decision by the Howard government. But the analysis actually relates to a 1998 study, the Australian Community Survey, by the Centre for Social Research at Edith Cowan University and NCLS, which predates the war and, in fact, is reflective of attitudes at the height of the period of America's rise as the perceived successful unipolar custodian of world peace and freedom after the end of the Cold War. This indicates that, regardless of variations in the fractiousness of international relations and the prevalence of war, a desire for peace is constant among Australians across time. Since the end of World War II, it is probably our most consistent and enduring value. This ought not to be surprising, given the very obvious close relationship between the threat of war and the threat to our personal safety and survival. Other results in the NCLS Australian Community Survey 1998 line up closely with the UWA study 2018. Although the studies are 20 years apart, the values of peace in the world, equality and social justice are at the top of both lists. And personal success, ambition, social recognition, religious and spiritual devotion, conformity, tradition, wealth and seeking power and control over others and resources are at the bottom of both lists. 
the highly valued things are the same in both studies, as are the least valued things. Neither set of results lines up with the Home Affairs version of what Australians value. Nor, apparently, do the results of a more recent privately funded study by Havis Labs, a division of the marketing firm Havis Australia Creative Group, line up as an ethos with the values espoused for Australians in the Home Affairs statement. The Havis Labs study, Australian National Values in 2022, analysed sources from the Commonwealth Government, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, citizenship tests, media, research papers and popular culture to compile a list of 25 collective national values. It sheds a good deal of light on the difference between the understanding Australians have of the values we ostensibly hold as a nation, that is, what our nation is meant to value by convention, and what we personally value as individuals. It examines the ranking accorded to the 25 different values in terms of their importance to individuals, and it compares this to what we assume to be the values that are stereotypically promoted as Australian. The study makes two very important observations about Australian values that are highly relevant if we are to attempt to create a preamble in a new constitution that properly captures the sense of something as nebulous as values. The first observation is that we are diverse. Havis Lab says, quote, No two Aussies are the same. There is really no such thing as the average Australian. Unquote. The data show that different cohorts of respondents rank values generally recognised as Australian quite differently to the way they rank the same values in terms of their personal priority. They place a greater or lesser importance on each of the 25 values, depending on their stage of life, location, gender, place of birth, income, and their generation. One of the more striking differences in values occurs between older and younger generations. Havis observes that, quote, Older generations conform to values in the national Australian stereotype, but these values face potential extinction, with newer generations taking on a different value set. In a few short years, Australia could be seeing nationalism, tradition and mateship receding in favour of a more intellectual, sustainable, progressive mindset which favours arts and culture. Unquote. Nevertheless, we share values promoting well-being. And in 2022, as Havis Lab says, we are, quote, harking back to better times. An overwhelming majority of Australians lament how our values have changed in the last five to ten years. They share fears that we're becoming more selfish, less communally minded and fundamentally changed as a country, unquote. Clearly, we perceive that times have been better and we connect features of this decline, inequality, poorer health, environmental degradation, economic decline, with the perceived rise of a value set held or thought to be held by Australia as a nation that is less human and ecocentric than we would prefer it to be as individuals. Havis Labs found that, quote, Australians feel negative about how our values as a nation have changed, but we're at a turning point. As a nation of individuals, we're looking forward to a future 
caring for the environment and our fellow Aussies. Above all, we want to dial up the fair go more than anything. Unquote. In summary, the Havis study indicates that while we are diverse, we are nevertheless unified in having, quote, a new hope for a more compassionate, sustainable and tolerant future with a fair go at its heart, unquote. The second important observation of the Havis Lab study is that while we differ across demographic groups on some values, we nevertheless seem to coalesce as a significant majority to differ with the stereotypical view of Australian national values, especially insofar as this stereotype resembles the narrow view and priority order of our values as expressed by the Department of Home Affairs. Our personal views of the relative importance of the 25 values studied by Havis Labs does not line up with our view of what is most important in the values ostensibly held by the nation, at least as they might be expressed by Home Affairs. A table in the printed version of this book shows how in the Havis Lab study we rank the values we assume are typically held as national values compared to how we rank those values in our own personal value set. I won't attempt to read out the whole table, but for example, it shows that we think the nation as a whole feels that equal opportunity is the most important value held by Australia, but we rank honesty as the value most important to us as individuals. On only two of the 25 values listed by Havis, do we feel that the nation accords those values the same importance ranking that we would prefer as individuals? From the comparison shown in the full table, it is clear that what we perceive as important in national values is relatively unimportant to us as individuals and vice versa. What is important to us personally is relatively unimportant to the nation, or at least we think it has become so. We value compassion and tolerance much more highly than we think the nation does. We also more highly value sustainability, creativity, intellectualism, honesty and egalitarianism. And vice versa, we value nationalism a lot less than we think the nation does. We also place significantly lower value on the rule of law and mateship. The only things we value to the same extent as the nation, that is, in the same order of relative importance, are freedom and physical health and fitness. We have come to perceive a divergence between our personal values and assumed national values. This is not to say that Australians don't value things like nationalism, the rule of law and mateship. They do, but their priority has fallen while other things have surged forward in our consciousness of their importance. If any listeners happen to have felt at some stage in the decade to 2022 that they have woken up in another country, one in which they feel they no longer belong, this might explain why. It is because we believe the stereotypical national Australian values, particularly nationalism, with all its overtones of racial superiority and detriment to the interests of other nations, are no longer our own most highly cherished values as individuals. 
If all these studies are sound, and there is no reason to deem them unsound, then in terms of what apparently matters most to us, social cohesion, well-being, and peaceful coexistence in domestic and international relationships, we have diverged from what seems to matter most to the nation. Or rather, we have diverged from what we have been told matters most to the nation by a fearful, conservative, unimaginative, uncooperative and increasingly pugnacious government, the one that created the Department of Home Affairs. As Hattis Lab sees it, based on what Australians have told them in their survey, quote, we're lovers, not fighters. While the rule of law, nationalism and security are key to our national values, they drop in importance for individuals when thinking about the values that are important to them as people. Instead, compassion and tolerance are held in high esteem by individuals, contrary to not being part of our national value set, unquote. Inasmuch as research organisations are now drawing conclusions along lines that suggest the people of Australia want to become something more than the stereotype of the Aussie character that prevailed in the 20th century, one based predominantly on mateship, the fair go and freedom, it is apparent that the Home Affairs Australian Value Statement is actively attempting to drag us in a jingoistic direction, one which is contrary to our 21st century stated preference. The Home Affairs Statement promotes Australian values as narrow, insular and homogenous, as though stability arises from uniform conformance to rules, even while professing that we are free to be non-conformist. But the evidence is that Australians do not characterise themselves in such narrow terms. This is evident when we examine the breadth, or rather narrowness, of values promoted by Home Affairs and compare them to the far wider spectrum of values we exhibit and consider important. A full table in the written text shows that only five of the top ten values for individuals in the Havis Lab study rate a mention by Home Affairs, and of the remaining 15 values, only one rates a partial mention by Home Affairs. And to the extent that Home Affairs mentions compassion and benevolence, it is highly discriminatory as to whom it might extend this compassion and benevolence. Home Affairs is simply not on the same plane as Australians when it comes to the values listed in the Havis Lab study or the ANU, UWA, Christian Research Association, NCLS studies for that matter. As the self-appointed framer of our national values, it is clear that Home Affairs could not care less about most of what really matters to Australians. Little wonder that cynical responses to the Home Affairs statement filter through the internet like the wonderfully incisive parody of Australian values by Juice Media in 2021. In effect, the Home Affairs statement reduces Australians to less than they obviously want to be, much less. It is an insult to Australians, particularly in terms of their benevolence and desire to ensure the well-being of all. In part, this reduction of the Australian character to meanness and insularity arises from the fact that the Home Affairs Statement is designed with immigrants as the target audience. Its purpose is to make clear to immigrants that they will be expected to behave in accordance with rules which may well not apply in their country of origin – 
especially if it is a religiously intolerant, autocratic, non-English-speaking country with a heavily stratified class system or one that discriminates against women. It is designed with the chief purpose of, quote, maintaining an orderly, free and safe society, unquote, during influxes of immigration. This is, of course, reasonable. But otherwise, it says little more to visa applicants than that if they want to stay in Australia and ensure their visa or even their citizenship is not revoked, they must conform to the rule of law and not make a loud fuss when someone, especially an elected government, says something they disagree with or a law is made which discriminates against them. In other words, applicants must not engage in civil disobedience or protest because Laws are in fact now quite restrictive in terms of the rights to free speech and activism. In the early 2020s, when the Australian government invites immigrants to become citizens, it is not offering as much in the way of freedom as it did in the late 20th century. And it says nothing whatsoever about the values that should be taken as a guide to immigrants on how, through their diversity, they can make the best contribution to the nation as a whole. Indeed, as far as freedom and diversity are concerned, people applying for Australian citizenship would be under no illusion that they are being asked to pass through a door that will close quite tightly behind them for good, a door which attempts to lock them away from their ancestry and possibly close living relatives, culture, beliefs and values, or at least to lock them away from as much of those values as may not align with the narrow array of values of a white Australia. It is particularly focused on locking them away from profession or demonstration of those values. This is evident in the preference of the Home Affairs Statement for the English Language as, quote, an important unifying element of the Australian society, unquote. A language, of course, has unifying power. But an implicit refusal to accommodate diverse languages is unlikely to be conducive to unity in a multicultural nation, especially when, in census results in 2021, 27.6% of Australians report being born overseas and 48.2% report having a parent born overseas. In 2021, almost half the Australian population was a first or second generation migrant, and over 5.6 million people spoke a language other than English at home. More than 850,000 of this group reported that they do not speak English well or at all. Nor is a refusal to encourage immigrants to value their first language alongside English likely to be conducive to ensuring that diversity can be capitalised on as the strength that it is. And if policies of education funding simultaneously act as a discouragement to Australians to learn another language, this will compound the incapacity of the nation to capitalise on diversity while adding nothing to a project of unity. Insisting that applicants for citizenship will sign a statement that says, I undertake to make reasonable efforts to learn the English language if it is not my native language, is probably an efficient means of getting new citizens to get a job and conform to the approved social norms and laws. But given the sheer volume of immigration to Australia, it is not likely that a program of disregard for multilingual origins is likely to be the quickest way to get Australians to unite. It might function well, albeit very slowly, 
If the intention is to create a homogenous kind of unity for the Australian society, but oddly enough, this is not Home Affairs' stated intention. On the contrary, their intention is that, quote, within the framework of Australia's laws, all Australians are able to express their culture and beliefs and to participate freely in Australia's national life, unquote. If that is indeed the objective, then Home Affairs has picked the wrong language strategy to achieve it. It is actually very difficult to maintain a culture, let alone express it, if you do not also maintain the language that underpins it. Just ask Australia's Indigenous nations, who have lost connection to their culture through loss of their languages. And a failure to actively support a multilingual basis to a significantly multicultural society like Australia's would not be conducive to what the Howard government, for instance, regarded as the key to national unity. In 2003, the Howard government released a policy statement on multiculturalism framed in the context of security concerns about the threat of terrorism that arose after the September 11 attacks on America in 2001. It was titled Multicultural Australia United in Diversity and it sought, initially, to promote values of, quote, diversity, understanding and tolerance in all areas of endeavour, unquote. But because it was informed by security concerns, this statement changed the way multiculturalism, or more specifically diversity, was being characterised and valued. Diversity was still at least superficially viewed as a strength, but overtones were introduced which newly marked it out as a threat, particularly to community harmony. The term diversity management was introduced as a new concept within an essential program to ensure diversity continued to be productive for businesses and the economy. This effectively subjugated the objective of community harmony to the objectives of business owners and capital. Harmony was no longer so much an objective in its own right, something polyphonic to be enjoyed in and of itself as the ultimate source of well-being and security. It was viewed more as a means of production and private profit. Its value was defined in terms of the economic benefit to be derived rather than in terms of the happiness and assurance of personal safety that can only be derived from living in a harmonious community. Polyphonic harmony was supplanted by a preference for monotonal unison. It was subtle, but the policy shift set Australians aside. They were no longer the central purpose of their own nation, nor was community cohesion a primary value. It was relegated as a secondary concern, and outwardly, to immigrants, the new policy posture could instead be quite accurately paraphrased as... Australia is a multicultural nation because we rely on immigration and the economic benefits of diversity. But once you become a citizen, your diversity will need to be managed, if not stamped out, lest it interfere with the central purpose of the nation, namely economic development. On the face of it, this policy shift would have been and still could be viewed as an essential and prudent shift in the circumstances. 
It could be just what nations do instinctively when the world becomes more frightening, as it did in 2001. But Australians lost something. It affected their attitudes to racial differences, shifting them more towards fear of the other. It also created the sense that diversity must be suffered rather than enjoyed, hence the repetition of the word tolerance by John Howard and the deletion of the word appreciation in relation to races and cultures. In the context of statements by John Howard such as, quote, we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come, unquote, the new multicultural policy could not be mistaken as promoting diversity over conformity. Instead, it promoted a culturally homogenous unity, fearfully suppressive of difference. The 2003 Howard Government Statement, Multicultural Australia United in Diversity, was misnamed. Nevertheless, it served the government's purposes quite well by helping to spearhead a revision of the process for acquiring citizenship and a new process for governmental design of Australian values. In turn, this led to some toing and froing in statements about Australian values, with a new multicultural statement being released in 2017 under the Prime Ministership of Malcolm Turnbull. The new statement, called Multicultural Australia United Strong Successful, dropped mention of diversity from the title, although some gestures towards valuing diversity were maintained in the body of the statement. However, these were reframed to give greater emphasis to, quote, our unique national identity and the importance of being an integrated and united people, unquote. A twist of policy stance which favoured a homogeneity of the Australian character over heterogeneity. Interestingly, the 2017 statement promoted a value of equality, albeit in a limited form, as equality for men and women, not for other genders, age groups or races. And it promoted the view that, quote, ours is a society founded on a liberal democratic tradition in which the fundamental rights of every individual are inviolable, unquote. However, these gestures towards equality, freedom and human rights were feeble and insincere. In the case of the inviolable human rights of every individual, they post-dated a program of violations of human rights, both in legislation and treatment of refugees, nor did they inspire a reversal of this legislation. Not surprisingly, these professions of government commitment to equality and human rights were short-lived, and in the 2020 Home Affairs Australian Value Statement, they are conspicuous by their absence. Instead, we are served up an English language policy, which is unlikely to serve a society where diversity is appreciated, other than as a means of production. And even there, it is just as likely to be counterproductive, since it will limit the capacity of immigrants to bring the full benefits of their diversity to bear on decisions about how they can make the best contribution to both society and the economy. In the decades since Howard's United in Diversity statement, the national failure to support a multilingual society has created more leverage points for disunity than harmony. This is evident in the annual results of the Scanlon Monash Index of Social Cohesion, which show a solid trend of decline in cohesion since the establishment of the index in 2007. 
nor has the failure to adequately support a multilingual society done much to ensure that businesses can capitalise on diversity. In the 2020s, narrow linguistic capacity not only marginalises large numbers of immigrants and Indigenous Australians, but cuts successive generations of both migrants and non-migrants off from understanding the subtle differences between Australian culture and others. It walls Australia in rather than letting them roam free to explore the diversity of other nations' approaches to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And to the extent that it suppresses Indigenous languages, it is a particularly inhumane severance of their connection with ancestors. When compounded with the loss of their lands, preferment of the English language is nothing more than an attempt to kill Indigenous cultures stone dead. Over the decade to 2020, diversity was slowly squeezed out of multicultural statements, with the result that the Home Affairs Australian Value Statement is not a friendly welcome mat. It is as unfriendly as the Border Force Guards and Australian Federal Police, who brandish guns in airports and has as little capacity to create social cohesion as might be expected in a country where it represents the first image of Australians that migrants get. We might hope that migrants will eventually be able to tell the difference between what government says Australians value and what they really value. But otherwise, our official welcome says little more than that our professed tolerance is quite strictly limited, more limited than should be expected in an ostensibly free country, and that our compassion and benevolence are even more limited than our tolerance. It says nothing about the wider character of the nation, particularly insofar as Australians value honesty, ethical behaviour, integrity, and are highly appreciative of diversity, a trait clearly exhibited in decades of strong support for multiculturalism. According to the Scanlon Foundation, an organisation that has independently surveyed social cohesion annually for more than a decade in Australia, between 2013 and 2021, an average of 83% of Australians agreed or strongly agreed with the statement that multiculturalism has been good for Australia. However, that sense of appreciation of multiculturalism has declined somewhat, a decline that can be attributed almost entirely to the changes in government attitudes to diversity that I've discussed above. Between 2007 and 2017, Australians indicating a sense of rejection and reporting experience of discrimination because of their skin colour, ethnic origin or religion more than doubled, from 9% to a high of 20% in 2017. An average of 18% of Australians reported racial discrimination over the five years to 2021. This is coincident with the rise of the Home Affairs Department and the propagation of a discourse that promotes social exclusion more than inclusion. It is a discourse that professes tolerance, but in reality barely tolerates difference and freedom. It is also a discourse which dangles the fair go in front of visa applicants, but does not actually offer it. Nor does it suggest how the fair go might be obtained, nor the cruelty with which it is often denied to those in need. Just consider, for example, the robo-debt scandal and the discriminatory imposition of the cashless welfare card on remote, predominantly Indigenous communities. To top it all off, 
This discourse gives no hint of how social cohesion is really preferred and achieved in Australia, and as such, it provides no guidance as to how immigrants may make a contribution consistent with that value. The Home Affairs Australian Value Statement is therefore little more than a divisive and quite repressive instrument. It is an instrument incapable of helping immigrants best determine how their particular cultural distinctiveness can enhance the cohesion and vitality of Australian society. Taking all this into account, it is impossible to see how the Home Affairs Australian Value Statement could function as a basis for a national value set that might suffice for a people's constitution. It simply does not speak of our values as we have spoken of them in our responses to surveys over the years. To the extent that it supports freedom and democracy, the Australian value statement is indicative of a narrow band of tenuous concepts we might value, but in these respects, it is ill-expressed and even grotesquely twisted. For instance, it confines democracy to, quote, parliamentary democracy whereby our laws are determined by parliaments elected by people, those laws being paramount and overriding any other inconsistent religious or secular laws, unquote. This is cover for the autocracy of elected executive governments that impose laws that suit them, not a democracy for the people whose laws are derived consistent with their will. It is cover for an elitist system in which rules and laws are often actually arbitrary, temporary and discretionary, precisely because they are not made under the auspices of a constitution which sets out the ethical and social principles by which laws may be made. It simply sets out how the lawmakers shall be selected. It is cover for a system that, quite regardless of Parliament, could easily and does replace most of the values we strongly prefer with values we do not. To the extent that it locates sovereignty in the will and fiat of an elected government, rather than in the people's will expressed to a diverse parliament, this representation dignifying Australia's democracy as parliamentary is false. It misrepresents parliamentary power as though it is inherently democratic when it is not. It implies that the people have capacity to place restrictions on what laws shall and shall not be made when in fact they are excluded from any such power. There is no doubt that Australians prefer democracy, however it may be characterised, to autocracy. But this does not mean they want to live in a democracy that is merely masquerading as one. Australia's democracy is skating more towards, rather than away, from features of autocratic rule, seen particularly in lawmaking that is heavily contrary to the public interest, driven by a state that is seemingly beholden to or even held hostage by corporations, and the international neoliberal financial institutions. Having said that, the Australian system has not yet lost its impetus towards social cohesion to the extent seen in American democracy. To some extent, our system of responsible government, where the executive government must be elected, has slowed down our slide towards a complete break between representative government and democracy. This is providential in that there is still time to correct the slide. In part, the slide can be corrected if we bring the system into line with the people's values, not those of a particular government. This will require a statement of values to be inserted into a new people's constitution as the leading expression of the will of the people. I say 
leading expression because there are other essential elements to a new constitution which will contribute to a fuller expression of the will of the people and I will discuss these in the next two chapters. For the moment, it is simply necessary to say that a statement of the people's values needs to be inserted into the constitution as the overarching expression of the people's will in terms of the character of the nation they want to build. This value statement must provide the focal point of guidance to parliaments, executive governments and the High Court in determining whether laws made by the Parliament are constitutional. That is to say, rightly made according to a set of principles the people have endorsed rather than arbitrarily made according to the will of the tiny few who are elected. In short, the value statement must be justiciable. The Australian people must be confident that it will be used to hold governments accountable for acting in line with the people's sovereign will, not the government's or even the parliament's will. This is the start of how we the people can change the location of the sovereign will and thereby make self-determination possible. It is only the start, but it is the essential platform for determining the legitimacy of laws. That means their legitimacy in terms of whether they truly serve the public interest and the cohesion of a diverse society.